Amen and amen. I really do believe that God gave me a word. I believe, too, that it's a word that has the potential to get people maybe in disagreement with me. I'm going to say from the get-go of this message, it's a good message. It comes from the Lord. I'm convinced in my heart God spoke to me very clearly. But I also believe that this is a time where we, the church of Jesus Christ, while the world does not recognize who we are or what we are, while the world often deliberately works against us and sees our values as part of the enemy. Yet, this world and this nation needs us and needs us more than ever. We have to be on our game and we have to be in the game. And so with those preceding thoughts, I want to just uh, arrest every thought and ask you to hear me, but more than that, hear the Spirit of God. Because I believe the Spirit of God wants to lead us so that the flesh and the circumstances of life don't lead us. Amen. We always have a choice. You understand that in Romans 8, it talks about, for as many as are sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. To be led by the Spirit of God infers there's a choice. You can be led by another spirit. You can be led by the spirit of self, but behind the spirit of self will always be the spirit of darkness. Or you can be led outright by the spirit of the enemy. I believe that the church is more needed today than ever before. And so this is the title of my message. A nation divided, but a church united. Amen. Amen. I'm going to say it again. A nation divided, but a church united. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 20 to 21, and I have several scriptures I want to read quickly and then get into the meat of this word. The book of Daniel is an amazing book. It's 12 chapters, the first six chapters, basically an accounting of historical things that happened, amazing, miraculous things that happened, and you learn much about the character of God throughout the historical unfolding of what took place during Daniel's day. It was the demise of the city of Jerusalem, the captivity of many Jews, and uh, the, the power and the rise of the Babylonian kingdom, and how God moved in those circumstances. The last six chapters are prophetic about future times, some of which have come to pass. Daniel most accurately of all the prophets in the Bible, literally prophesied to the day that the Messiah would be hailed as king. And that fell on Palm Sunday when the people uh, raised palms and were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna to the king. Mind you, two weeks later, they nailed him to a cross. And the inscription above him was, King of the Jews. Daniel's an amazing book. And Daniel says, 
Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for his for wisdom and might are his. How many of you are convinced God's more powerful than the kingdom of darkness? Let's keep reading. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Praise God. All through the book of Daniel, which, uh, in, in Bible college, the very first course we do is chain of command. Understanding divine order. And we come to understand through that first lecture, and it seems to be the lecture that tends to have the biggest impact on the students. Uh, it is, I did a survey this year between uh, year two and year three, and it constantly came up as one of the most impactful studies that they had gone through so far in two years of Bible study. Um, understanding that God is in control and that at times God allows things to take place and they may not be the things we want and they may not be the things we understand. I have learned that we have power to pray and I've also learned that sometimes the smartest prayer is this. Father, this is what I want in Jesus' name. But at the end of the day, not my will, your will be done. Because I've come to realize that God knows what's better for me than what I know. And so I trust him. And so at the end of my prayers, I can regularly say, God, your will be done. I'm okay. Even if it doesn't line up with my agenda and doesn't seem to make sense to me, I trust you before the event. I trust you in the event. And I trust you after the event. And in the event that nothing goes the way I want, God is in control. Can I get an amen? amen. Absolutely. Romans 13, let everyone be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. What he has allowed. God could topple any government. Isn't it interesting that all of... Uh, much of Israel and the Jewish uh, leaders had by and large rejected the Christ. And yet God didn't reject them. They persecuted the church. And God allowed them to stand. Where the, the synagogue left off, the Roman Empire picked up. And as the church grew, God did not obliterate Rome He moved in spite of Rome. And God used the adversity of Rome to put fire in the hearts of men and women that were washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't understand everything that happens, but it's not mine to understand. God is the one with wisdom, and God is the one with might, and God changes the seasons, and I trust whether it goes my way or your way, God is in control. Can I get an agreement? 
And lastly, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 2, Paul says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. Well, that's a safe statement. But then he takes it further. For kings and for all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. At the end of the day, in the midst of what has been a, t a very, very challenging year, we've also had very polarized campaigning and ultimately an election that still hasn't been completely decided. I understand we're Americans and we are very, very aware of what's happening in our nation. But church, when I say things like I'm about to say, they're not just catchphrases. What I'm about to say represents what I believe deep down in my core. And I believe that every child of God should believe deep down in their core. I am not an American Christian. I am a Christian who happens to be an American. I am first and foremost aware of who I am in Jesus Christ. I am first and foremost a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I am proud to be an American. I am, without a question. Please, don't ever misunderstand the things that I say. I am proud to be an American, but I am going to say something that may disappoint some. The distance between first place, and that is being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and second place, which is being a citizen of the United States, the distance between first place and second place is vast in my heart. I am by far much more conscious and aware of my calling on life as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, as a son of God who comes to heal the sick, set the captives free, preach the gospel, and pray because our prayers have governing power in the heavens. It's not just God who acts, it's God and his sons who act. God could do by himself, but God calls his church to be a governing power on earth, and he calls us to pray. God has decreed that he will come into unity and in agreement with his church and through his church. Can I get an agreement this morning? <clears throat> I want to very quickly share a story from the Gospels, a story you've probably heard a lot. Is she in pain? Can I pray? Would you mind? Just stay where you are. I, I'm not trying to embarrass you, darling. But, Ashley, look at me for a moment. Sweetie, I love people so much that if you're not feeling the best, even in the middle of the sermon, I'll stop and pray. And so uh, 
You know, I heard this morning that Donna Jar came into church and had tremendous pain in her back. Is that correct, Donna? And I was thrilled. You were in the prayer meeting, and they prayed for you, and that pain left, totally gone. Stand up. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And some of my Bible school students came up to me and said, Pastor, we did what you taught us. We laid hands on her, and that pain left immediately. And Father, I just thank you for Ashley and anyone else in this congregation. Any ailment, any pain, any discomfort, any harassment. Father, I thank you the blood of Jesus is powerful. And when we use that name, it's powerful. And what we decree and what we release is powerful and it is done. So, Father, we release healing. We release freedom from symptoms and from pain. I thank you, Father, for your touch on Ashley and others in this service. In the name of Jesus Christ. That's our authority. That's our source. And that is our power. And everyone said, Amen. 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 I'm going to share a story from the Gospels that we've all heard, and we've probably, I'm sure, even coined uh, aspects of this story, uh, but God put this story on my heart and told me it was meant to be part of the sermon this morning, and that it was meant to play a role in shaping your thoughts and your perspective. And on the very surface of the story, I knew the story, and I thought, yeah, okay, I could see how it can apply. But then as I got with God and I opened up my Bible and I started a study, I saw that there was layers of depth that I've never heard before uh, in interwined in this story. So I'm going to ask you to come with me and let's pull the scriptures apart and dig deeper than we normally would uh, especially in this story. You've all heard, uh, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's, correct? That's a fairly common phrase or verse. We're very aware of it. Well, we're going to go there today because uh, I, I believe that there's something very pertinent here that we need to see. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 15 uh, to 22, uh, we have this particular story. It's also found in Mark, in Mark chapter 12. Mark also goes through the whole story. And I'm going to read, starting with verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. The Pharisees were always trying to trap Jesus. They deliberately, consciously with their will and their efforts, said, we're going we're gonna to trip this guy up. We're going to catch him. We're going to get him to say something so that one way or the other, he's going to be trapped. Now, if, you, if you're trying to trap an animal or a bird or a vermin, you're going to try to make sure that you've covered every passageway so that one way or another, that animal that you're trapping or that vermin that you're trapping will be caught. And the same here. 
They had thought up a scheme. They had some thoughts, and they're going to trap him. If he says this, we'll get him on this point. If he says this, we'll get him on that point. Every one of us in this room are familiar with that line of logic because sometimes, somewhere in our own lives, as we prepare ourselves mentally for an argument that usually doesn't happen, we set out every possible thing in our brain so that we have a comeback. Yeah. Everyone's taking the fifth. <laughs> then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. Let's go to the next verse. They sent their disciples to him. So Pharisee disciples went along with the Herodians. Now we're going to stop again. It's really interesting. In fact, I started laughing yesterday as I was researching this. Most times when the Pharisees wanted to trap Jesus, they never went alone. Usually, the Pharisees went with the teachers of the law. Or, in other situations, the Pharisees would go together with the Sadducees. Or, the Pharisees would go with the Herodians, or they would go with the lawyers. Why? Their method was that they would, they would poise a question so that if he answered one way, it would get this group upset. If he answered another way, it would get them upset. And one way or the other, one of the groups is going to have something to say against him. It sounds a lot like American politics. So they went with the Herodians. There are two groups of people in this story outside of Jesus. You have the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were a religious group of people who believed for a Messiah who would literally come and sit on King David's throne. Now the Bible prophesies this. Samuel prophesied that David's throne would last forever and there would always be, uh, there would be a seed who would sit on his throne. And Isaiah prophesies it, is it as well. And uh, we know that the Messiah had to come from the lineage of David. And Jesus fit all of that. But what the Pharisees were looking for, and you have to understand that after King Solomon, the nation of Israel became divided and ten tribes formed the nation Israel and two tribes formed the nation called Judah. Israel had one bad king after another, worshipped foreign gods. They were demolished and written off of the face of history way before the nation of Judah. The nation of Judah had some good kings, some bad kings. At times they had moments of revival. But ultimately, not only did uh, uh, Judah fall, ultimately the second invasion of the Babylonians brought the city of Jerusalem to its knees. And they literally torched the temple melted the gold off the walls, scraped all the gold, took all the gold uh, uh, articles that were used in worship and brought them back to Babylon. And this was during the time of the prophet Jeremiah. The book of Lamentations is about Jeremiah weeping because the city of God, the uh, 
prized gemstone and God's crown was desecrated. The temple was destroyed. This is how Daniel ended up in Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar. Babylon took a lot of the young men that had potential and they started to groom them. And all the stories that we get about Daniel and the the three Hebrew young men that were Hebrews, uh, Hebrews, um, we get all the stories of the three men in the furnace, etc., etc. I'm trying to put a little bit of uh, history and keep everything packaged so that you understand the Old Testament. So the Pharisees were people who were tired of the fact that the Babylonians uh, ruled over uh, the remaining, the remnant of Judah. They were tired that after the Babylons, uh, uh, Israel was handed over to the Medes and the Persians. After the Medes and the Persians, then they were subject to the Greeks. And now they're subject to the Romans. And so four different world empires ruled over Israel. It ceased to be its own independent nation long before. And so in the heart of the Pharisees, when they read scriptures, they had this burning desire for this Messiah to come and to break the bonds of foreign governorship over their land. They were looking for a Messiah that would make Israel great again. They believed, as many of the prophets had said, that in the end, a seed of David will sit on the throne and the people, the nations of the world, would come to God's holy mountain and they would come to learn the ways of God. And these are things that are yet to happen. They are in the future. And the timing of prophecy is really important. Sometimes you get the timing wrong, you just screw the whole thing up. And so they were believing for a Messiah who would rise up, raise up an army, throw off whatever empire was ruling over them, and he would take his place as a descendant of David. They understood he would be an eternal king. And that... Gentile nations would convert to Judaism and recognize Yahweh and come to Jerusalem and worship Yahweh, the one true God. And this is how the Pharisees had interpreted this whole concept of a Messiah. You see, sometimes we can read Scripture and we, in the translation, sometimes we bring a little bit of our human thought and it's not always the way God plans it to go. So this was the, the, the Pharisees. Then you had the Herodians. Well, before we talk about who the Herodians are, because they're part of this trap, and I'm going to show you, I'm doing all of this to show you how cleverly and how deceitful they were. They're setting things up to trap Jesus. So you need to understand the characters and the groups that they represent so you can understand the trap they're trying to lay. So before we understand who the Herodians are, we have to understand who's Herod. Well, there are several Herods. Herod's actually a family name. It's a surname. And the Herods became a dynasty. Herod the Great, the first, uh, is actually an Edomite. And he you know, became involved with uh, the Jewish people, a lot of intermarriage, but his origins are that of Edom. And Herod 
the Edomites actually come from um, <laughs> uh, I'm having a memory block for a moment here. Um, <clears throat> you know, Abraham slept with Sarah's handmaiden and gave birth to Ishmael. Thank you. We're playing Jeopardy here for a moment. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so uh, they are descendants of Ishmael. And uh, Herod the Great garnered favor with the Roman Empire, and they gave him governorship over the people of Israel. So this family became a lineage of dynasty, which lasted approximately four generations, and they were hailed as the local kings ruling in Israel under gov uh, the governmental power of Rome. Okay, so that's why you'll hear about different Herods. Herod is actually the family name. They were given kingship or, or, or lordship over Israel. They governed as vassals of Rome. They were extensions of Rome. So the Herodians, who are the Herodians? The Herodians were people who believed that from Herod's family, God would use a Messiah. Not strict scriptural interpretation because he had to be of the lineage of David. Isn't it interesting? They're wanting to raise up someone from Ishmael. And so Herod the Great, Herod the First, rebuilt the temple, and the temple was rebuilt, and the Bible says it was bigger and larger than the temple that Solomon had built. It was grandiose. And so he won favor with a lot of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he encouraged uh, Hebrew worship, even though he really was not a person who followed the ways of righteousness. When Herod the Great died, then his sons, he divided the kingdom up into four sections, and the word tetriarch, how many of you have ever read Herod the Tetriarch? It's Herod, tetriarch means one-fourth, and so his four sons each governed one-fourth of the nation of Israel under the power and authority of Rome. They were ungodly people. This family dynasty had done many terrible things. Herod had uh, tried to exterminate all the Hebrew boys being born at the time of Jesus because he had heard that this might be the king of the Jews. Well, amongst the Herodians was a belief that God would raise up a type of a Messiah and through his favor with the Roman Empire will curry favor and it will give us freedom to worship and freedom to live in a peaceable way. So it was a political, spiritual concept. It was completely wrong. That's who the Herodians were. They were constantly backing whoever the Herod was uh, of that day or of the region, believing them that you know, God was using them, and this is how we get our Messiah, and this is how we grow in strength again and have religious freedom. So these are the two different groups, the, the Pharisees and the Herodians. And so the Pharisees decide, we're going to trap Jesus. 
They send out their disciples together with, they mustered the accompaniment of the Herodians. And they go to Jesus and listen to what they say. It's very deceitful. When you understand all the background, you could see the slithering tongue of a serpent, a forked tongue. They're setting him up even in their words. And so it says here, um, as we keep reading, where's the first verse? Teacher, they said, we know that you're a man of integrity. Now listen to this, so diabolically clever. And that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by people. Because you pay no attention to who they are. Now remember, they deliberately set the crowd up so you got Pharisees on one side and you got Herodians on the other. And they're talking to him as if they're complimenting him. They're setting him up. We know that you're not persuaded by people's opinions. You only speak truth. So we have a question for you. You know in their heart, the Bible says they plan to trap him. He says, you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Now, we're going to stop again. The imperial tax was a special tax. Roman citizens didn't pay it. If you were a Roman citizen, you didn't pay the imperial tax. The imperial tax was a tax that was levied only against people that were vassals or under the government and the authority of Rome. So if you're not a Roman citizen, but you're in the empire of Rome, then you're someone that Rome governs. You're less than a citizen. You don't have as the same privileges or rights of a citizen. You're a slave, but you got freedom. You're a slave, but we allow you X amount of identity. And so here are the Pharisees. They say, should we pay the imperial tax? Because the inference is, if we pay it, we're giving homage to Rome and we're their slaves. But then you have the Herodians here who are pro-Herod, who is a governing authority on behalf of Rome, and they want to keep the favor between Rome and the Herods so that they have a certain degree of religious freedom, but you have the Pharisees who want to throw off Rome, want the son of David to come to overpower every foreign government and make Israel the greatest nation in the world. So you have two religious belief systems coming together and they're using their diversity or polarization and they're trying to trap Jesus. Should we pay this tax? If Jesus says, no, we should be independent, the Herodians are going to be against him and they'll send news to Herod and it'll cause complications. You see, Herodians and Pharisees hardly ever agreed, but they both agreed on one thing. We want to get rid of Jesus. They agreed on nothing, but they agreed on. We want to get rid of Jesus. If Jesus said, yes, we pay taxes, and that's all he says, then the Pharisees could 
accuse him of not being the Messiah and not overthrowing the Roman government? And how is he ever going to sit on David's throne and make us a great nation? So they figured they had every T crossed and every I dotted. Here they are in a volatile political scenario and they're going to trap the Son of God. And so they ask, should we pay the imperial tax? Can we go to the next verse? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? You see, that's the word of knowledge, okay? The, these gifts of the Spirit still operate today. The gift of healing still operates today. Prophetic gifts still operate. Words of knowledge, the gift of discernment still operates today. And therefore, all of us, not just for a church service, we're meant to use, you know how many times I've used the word of knowledge as a dad with my kids? Tons of times. You know how many times I asked God for the gift of wisdom as I had to handle situations in my family or business decisions? The gifts of the Spirit are for the sons of God. Can I get an agreement? So Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Next verse. Show me the coin used for paying the tax. So they brought him a denarius. All right? Next verse, Jesus says, he asked them, whose image is on this coin and whose inscription? Verse 21, they turn around and, of course, they say, well, it's Caesar's. Then he said, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. That's his. It's got his name on it. It's got his insignia on it. And give to God what is God's. And with that answer, instead of falling into the trap of the left or the right, he raised everyone's awareness to a higher level and said, you know what? I'm not playing these petty games. I didn't come here for the governments of men. I came to call people to rally around Yahweh and let's run after God. Wow, yeah. Look, I have strong political leanings. But we have different leanings in this congregation. And at the moment, this nation is grossly divided and hurting. I wrote a statement and I highlighted it in yellow because I wanted the guys to put it up on the screen. Would you put it up? If a nation is divided... It's in turmoil. But if the church of Jesus Christ is divided, the nation is bankrupt. Do you understand where we are and what's going on? Listen, if I could legislate against abortion, I would. If I could legislate against marijuana, and I'm going to tell you right now, I don't care what the world has been feeding you and telling you for years. Marijuana is a gateway drug. And I'm going to tell you right now that anything that causes you to lose self-control of your thoughts, be it alcohol, drugs, anything, leaves you out of control and leaves you as an open vessel for demonic spirits. 
I have cast many demons out throughout my life, had them scream at me, yell at me, and I had a spirit name himself as a spirit of dope. This is back in the 70s. And when we cast this thing out, we asked the young man, how long you been smoking dope? His eyes got huge, like, you know, hubcaps on a car. And he said, how did you know? Because the spirit of it named himself. If I could legislate against marijuana, I would. If I could legislate against different sexual sins, I would. But there's one realization that I've come to. And when I vote, I vote according to my conscience and biblical principle. And that's what I've told you to do all along without picking a side. I'm not going to go there because we have so many different perspectives and interpretations. And to me, the unity of the church is far greater. I see a ploy of the enemy. And, and while I have strong opinions... I also know that God is the one who will raise up a leader and God is the one who will set down a leader. Can I get an amen? You see, our rallying point is the word of God and our rallying point is revival because even if your pastor could legislate uh, laws that would make it illegal to traffic even marijuana and make it illegal to lower the age of sexual consent to 14 and make other sexual practices illegal. While we can make moral legislation, we cannot make people morally pure. And so we could legislate all of these things, which I'm in favor of. I'll be honest. They want to legalize prostitution. I'm, I'm in favor of it, making these things harder for people to participate in. But I'm going to tell you right now, that doesn't take sin out of a person's heart. And ultimately, the wicked will do what the wicked desire. Look, because there's already a, a lawless spirit in them, sin is lawlessness. Because there's already a lawless spirit in them, they will break the law to do their lawless deeds. I understand we want to make this nation as godly as possible, but it will not. Legislation will never create a moral human being. The only thing that can do that is a move of the Holy Ghost. And here we are. We, we, we cherish a nation of diversity. We love the fact that America becomes the home of the free people fleeing uh, oppression in other lands and taking on citizenship in this great nation of ours. And we love the diversity, but we also have to understand that with that diversity comes a lot of different opinions. And legislation and political maneuvering isn't what's going to bring people to a godly point of view. It's a move of the Holy Ghost. So if we become as divided in the church as we are divided in our politics, how is the church going to have power in heaven? You see, in Psalms, David writes that where there is unity among the brethren, God commands a blessing. If we can't be united on political levels, let's be united. Forget about, you know, whether we should pay this tax or not. Jesus said, hey... Give Rome its due. Oh, but that's a heathen nation. I'm going to be cursed. Follow the word of God. 
We live by the Word of God. God is bigger than all of that. When we do what is right and we are honorable to the Word of God, that's what we live by. We live by the Word of God and anything that we can't discern or say, well, how does it fit in this scenario? We just surrender to God and trust God to take care of all the discrepancies in between. Can I get an amen? amen? You see, what America needs is a strong church. What America needs is for the church to be full of the Holy Ghost. What America needs is Christians who remember that they are first ambassadors of God to a world gone wrong. What America needs is for every man in this congregation, every man in every congregation, and every woman to stand up and realize we have something more powerful than the vote. We have the name of Jesus Christ. And what political parties cannot do, and what legislation cannot do, a move of the Holy Spirit can always do. The enemy is very clever, and he would want us to be divided amongst us. How could such a person vote such a way? And the other person thinks exactly the same about me. I am not going to step down from my high position to a lower position. No matter how the election goes, I am going to stand in my position as a son of God seated in heavenly places and I'm going to pray the things I believe are right and at the end of that prayer I'm going to say and God if I'm wrong your will be done because you're always right. Amen. I'm going to pray for the things that bring eternal change. I'm going to pray for the things that can sweep a nation while that nation is unsuspecting and that's the Holy Ghost. Look at me. Just before the turn of the century in the 1900s, just before we became 1900, there was a move of God in a tiny little nation called Wales. The move of God was so powerful. They had brothels up and down the streets. There was all kinds of crime. Sin isn't something new in this generation. There was such a move of God, and it just started with a few churches, that all the brothels got closed down, and they became houses of Bible study. These women who were selling their lives to every different sort of man who came along, who gave up their identity, these women gave up their identity so that they could have another meal. Maybe feed their kids that everyone else would have called illegitimate anyway. These women got touched by the praying saints. And their lives got convicted without legislation. And there was such a revival that women who were common prostitutes. And that men just used it like a dirty rag and then walked away from. Became women who repented before God. And they got touched by the Holy Ghost and they became lovers of Jesus Christ and for the first time in their lives they had value and they had identity and they had self-respect. Amen. 
And so houses of prostitution closed down and reopened as houses of Bible study. This is historical fact. In fact, the move of God was so powerful in the nation of Wales that the judges would go into the courts and put on white gloves. You know what white gloves mean? There is no cases to try. Criminal activity came to an end. There was hardly ever any crimes to adjudicate over. In the mines where the miners, in the coal mines, where they would swear in their very vile, earthy, carnal, sinful vocabulary. They would swear to their donkeys and yell at them, get the effing bleating moving, go! The donkeys did not recognize the new language that their drivers were speaking. This is written in the books. It's history. These dirty, and I mean dirty even on the outside, hard men who worked in these coal mines under insufferable conditions would weep and you'd see the tracks of their tears down their face because the Spirit of God had touched them. Alcoholism came to almost a halt as thousands upon thousands across the nation got saved. One day on the front page of the local newspaper, it said, there appears to be a mysterious hand of God hovering over our nation. That revival called people to come from all over the world. They came from America. They came from England. They came from Asia. They came from everywhere to a little nation called Wales to experience this revival. And it was only something like four to six years later, revival broke out in America, up in California, of all places, right? You think it's, you know, it's such a God-forsaken place, but in a little street called Asusu Street, and people started praying in tongues and the gifts of the Spirit came back to the church and all of a sudden people were coming from Wales. They were coming from Ireland. They were coming from England. They were coming from the Asian islands. They came from Europe all to experience what was happening in this revival in Asusu Street here in the United States and revival broke out everywhere. And do you know today the result of that revival where the gifts of the Spirit had sort of been lost to the awareness of Christian men and women. Today, there are over 600 million Spirit-filled, tongue-talking believers around the world. What legislation can't do, the Holy Ghost can do much more. Hallelujah. A nation divided is in turmoil. But if the church of Jesus Christ in that nation is divided, we are bankrupt. The greatest thing America has is that there are still churches who believe in Jesus Christ. That there are still men and women who believe in the power of his name. That there are still blood-washed saints who are calling on the Holy Spirit of God. And so I say to you today, as a man of God, bringing a prophetic word in a very difficult time, a time 
that could be explosive even in the church. I'm calling you to a higher level. What you and I cannot get, one way or the other, 50% of us are going to be unhappy. What we cannot establish in the natural, let's establish in the spiritual. Every person in this place who loves Jesus, irrespective of their political viewpoints, are washed in the same blood of Jesus Christ that washes you. And when we get to heaven, you and I won't even have the memory of our two-party system. Two parties, you can't help but have people of two opinions, and therefore you have division. And where you have division, you have divisiveness. But we have one faith, one baptism, one Jesus Christ. We have one call, and that is the call. We happen to live in America, and I think it's the greatest country. But we happen to live in America, but we are first and foremost, and by a long shot, we are sons of God, and we are ambassadors of heaven. And the reason why you're here is because there is a monumental fight brooding which will come to the culmination of these ages. You were born for this day. So strap on your spiritual warfare. Strap on your armor. Strap on your weapons. Become comfortable in the spirit of prayer and in the spirit of intercession. I believe we're in the last of the last days and you are not some unfortunate soul who happened to be born in a miserable time. You were chosen to be born for such a time as this to be part of God's battering ram that will ram against the kingdom of darkness. Forget the politics. Ram against principalities. We don't fight flesh and blood. Come on, don't forget it. We don't fight flesh and blood. We fight principalities that come behind the blood, flesh and blood. We are called to keep our focus on Jesus Christ and on the kingdom of God, which is meant to invade the kingdoms of men. If we get polluted with the kingdom of man, we will never function as agents of the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Am I preaching against politics? No. For the last six weeks, I told you to vote. It's a little bit like David. He sinned with Bathsheba. She's pregnant. He has her husband murdered. He takes her as his wife. The baby is ill. David would not eat. He would not drink. He went into fasting and mourning. He was so miserable because of the lives he wrecked. His lust for one moment hurt Bathsheba, hurt Uriah, her now deceased husband, and brought disgrace on the nation of God. And he wept as a man broken because the sins of his carnality, everyone was paying the effect. And now this innocent baby is between life and death. And he put on sackcloth and he mourned and he wept. And the day the baby died, all of his royal team expected that David would absolutely lose it. 
And the moment the baby died, David got up, washed himself, and said, prepare food. And they said, how is it? You mourned while he was still alive, but now that he is dead, you're ready to shower and to go on and to eat. He says, because I can't bring him back, but one day I'll go to him. Now life must carry on. Our election hangs in the balance of being decided. And some are convinced it's done. Others are convinced it's going to change. And I'm going to tell you that whatever happens, the only change that really needs to happen is that we need to push forward in the spirit of revival and say, Holy Ghost, fill us Fill your churches and fill this nation and fill the nations of the world. If you agree, stand with me and give the Lord a shout. Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord a praise offering. Amen. And amen. And amen. And amen. I still have my preferences. We're going to close. I still have my preferences. But you know what? At the end of my preferences, I say, God, your will be done. And whatever happens, because I prayed, you're going to take us through. But now, I'm going to leave the baby. And I'm going to pursue God's agenda for my life. Church, hear me. I love you. I love you all. And I realize a message like this. If it's not received well, could have people leaving the church. He's not liberal enough. He's not, Democrat, uh, he's not Republican enough. He's not Democratic enough. No. I want people to never say he's not Holy Ghost enough. I never want to hear that about my life. And I don't want to hear it about your life. You see, you understand you come here and you allow me to be your shepherd, and you allow the Spirit of God in me to chip away at perspectives, to carve maybe different paths than what you were going. Of course, at times, I'm going to say things you don't want to hear. Of course. That's what an instructor does. That's what a man of God does. That's what a prophet does. He's not going to be worried about whether or not he's popular. At the end of the day, he only cares about one thing, that his father says, well done, well done. Listen to me. We are living in last days. And I'm calling men and I'm calling women, come on, get sober in the Holy Ghost. Start dealing with hidden sins, things that I don't know about, things your husband or your wife might not know about. It's time to clean ourselves up, and it's time to become wholly committed to the things of Jesus Christ. Because if we party with the devil, in the end, the devil will have just enough power to hold us back from the coming of Jesus Christ. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot. This is a time, if you're watching by live stream, whether you're in Germany or you're in Russia or you're in India, wherever you are, this is a call to the church of Jesus Christ to rise up and let's once again welcome the Holy Spirit, not just to tantalize us for a few moments in church, but to become vehicles of the Holy Ghost all through the week. It's time for men and women to break uh, 
to, to have to fast to break from the norm and to fast and to say, God, as, as passionate as we became about the elections and as passionate we are about our political preferences, I want to be 10 times more passionate about Jesus Christ and an invasion of the kingdom of heaven to earth. Hallelujah. I want to be first and foremost a son of God and I want to take my place uh, uh, where my vote really does count. I want to stand in the heavens and be able to say with clean hands, devil, we're coming in Jesus' name and we break your power and we speak revival over our church and over our families and over our nations. Can I get an agreement here this morning? I realize I've got Republicans on one side and Democrats on the other. But Paul says, I will see no man after the flesh, but I will see every man as who they are in Jesus Christ. And what your pastor is trying to do is to not only see you as who you are in Christ, but to get you to see you as who you are in Christ, and to see your brother and sister who might be standing on the other side of your political preference as who they are in Jesus Christ, and for all of us to step back into our destiny and be the church of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you got offended at my message... I have a good series for you. <laughs> You'll be able to watch it online. It's about the spirit of offense. I really believe that God is planning to move by his spirit. I hope it. I want it. But I really believe it too. I also really believe we're in the last of the last days. And we're going to face some even more trying times. I believe it. I looked over the portfolio of all my sermon series for 2020. I did that yesterday and I realized all year God called us to run after him. He called us into 21 days of prayer and fasting. He called us into repentance several times. He's calling us back to prayer again. Not because it's an election year. Because God has elected to show up one more time with a great outpouring of his spirit. How do we reset the culture and the mentality of such a diverse and in some ways such a perverse generation? How do we cut through all this gender stuff one day I might be thrown in jail for speaking against all this gender confusion I'm not going to compromise the word of God you and I have something much more important to be busy about and honestly 
we need to make sure that we're not going to be among the five virgins who ran out of oil. Now's the time to start trimming the wick of your oil lamp. And now's the time to start cleaning the soot off the glass. And now's the time to start buying extra oil. In other words, start pushing into God and let God fill you up again and again and again and again. I have never been one to jump on the bandwagon of last days and time theories. But more than ever, I believe. You can let that music continue to play softly. More than ever, I believe we're in the last of the last days. I don't say it as a defeat. There's going to be a fight. And I was born for this day. And whether you realize it or not, you're here today in this age because God is counting on you. While the world goes to bed and counts sheep, God stands in the heavens and counts on his sheep. Amen. Amen. I'm calling you as a church to put this nation in God's hands, start unwinding from what has wound us up, and let's go back to where we really need to be. I'm not calling you to prayer so that you pray that your party wins the final decision. God's heard enough prayers, I'm sure. Let's pray, God, your will be done. And we know it's God's will that in the last days there'll be an outpouring of his Holy Spirit. So let's agree on what we can agree on. Because what we can agree on is the most important thing to agree on. And it's the one thing that'll make America be the best America it honestly can be. The 60s were tumultuous with a lot of racial rioting as different mindsets clashed. The nation was scarred. It erupted then after a few years into the liberality of freedom and sex and drugs and the hippie movement covered over all the hurting and fighting that had been. And it seemed as if our nation was going from one wound to absolute libertarianism and decay. And in the midst of all of that, where it was normal and it was just the right thing for a man to have short hair and his ears sticking out. I remember being at a train station and in the very, very early 70s and hearing my father say, look at that guy, his hair is so long you can't tell if he's a man or a woman. And today I don't give a flip. But in the midst of what then was such an overrunning of drugs and sex and wild, rebellious lyrics in rock and roll, the Spirit of God broke out. And there was a great revival in the 70s. The hippie movement, the Jesus movement. It reached us in Australia. And kids in Australia were wearing Jesus Love You t-shirts 
We used to go to school and wear our Jesus Love You t-shirts. When I came back to America, I was still wearing my Jesus Loves You t-shirt. But the hippie movement then gave birth to the charismatic renewal. Do you understand how many acid-dropping druggies became Christians, got filled with the Holy Ghost, and are preachers today? Amen. Amen. And from that, what seemed like a dismal destiny for America, God in the midst of all of that rose up because there were little old ladies praying in churches all over this country, horrified that men had hair longer than them. But it brought a move of the Holy Ghost, which gave birth to the next move of the Holy Ghost, the charismatic movement, and Catholics started speaking in tongues and worshiping Jesus the way they should. Methodists, Anglicans, it swept the world. If you don't know these things, you need to know the effects of revival. There was a charismatic movement in the 80s that caused Baptists to start believing in tongues and the gift of healing and the gift of prophecy. And it created waves of renewal and waves of revival. Every pocket of Christian religion, every denomination started to experience the move of the Holy Ghost. Doesn't really matter. If we get what we want politically, or does it really matter that we have another wave of the Holy Ghost coming across the United States of America? Micah, I love your little boy. Last Sunday I was talking to someone and he came up and just started hugging my legs. I love kids and I love seeing them grow up in the house of God, church. We're called to make his house a house of prayer for the nations, not a hotbed of politics. I have political opinions, but I'm an ambassador of heaven first. And this is an even more important duty, especially while our nation is reeling and struggling. Don't lose sight of the more important goal because the higher goal really will accomplish what we're trying to accomplish in the flesh. Amen. Amen. Would you raise your voice with me in prayer right now? Will you trust me to pray a Holy Ghost prayer and agree with me and say amen? If I say something that you can put an amen to, will you please raise your voice and shout amen? Let demons hear it. Let them see the vote in the house of God by the amens that are uh, pushed forward today as we pray. Father, we come before you as your sons. Men and women, we're sons. There's neither male nor female. We come seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. Help us to remember the high calling to which you have called us, that we are ambassadors, and that as we pray, we have power to bind the kingdom of darkness and to release the flow of your Holy Spirit. Father, whatever happens in the end in these elections, ultimately, it's not man we trust, it's you we trust. Can I get an amen? amen. And Father, you are in control. 
and we trust you. Whether we come into hard times or good times, we trust you. And we pray for all that are in leadership, the ones we like and the ones we don't like. And I pray, God, that there will be a baptism of your Holy Spirit in in government, in the White House, in D.C. Right across every political boundary, let there be an invasion of your Holy Spirit. Across denominational lines, Father, we pray, send your Holy Spirit. Stir up the pulpit, stir up the preachers. If they're not saved, get them saved. Get them full of the Holy Ghost. God, we need you. Can I get an amen? We pray for our nation. We pray for our government. We pray that above everything, there will be a visitation of your Holy Spirit. (coughs) I thank you, Father. Our trust, our hope, our source is you. And we're coming back to the most important basics of all. Father, move in this church. Prepare us so that we could play a role of revival in these last days. Cause there to be such a wave that untold numbers of people start turning from drugs, from pornography, from alcohol, from unfaithfulness, that they will flock to your house and be full of Jesus and full of your Holy Spirit. Let this house play a role in the winds of revival that we will see thousands upon thousands do things that are beyond our imagination like you did with a handful of of believers in Azusa Street. God, you can. We can't, but you can. Amen. I don't know how, but I know who. Hallelujah. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, and I give you permission as the pastor over this church with many fine pastors around me, I give you, Holy Spirit, permission to invade the flock and make us uncomfortable where we need to be made uncomfortable. Bring visitations of your spirit to their sons and their daughters to the husband in the house, the man in the house, the wife in the house, the woman in the house. Come, Holy Spirit, and visit us with such an imprint that the whole world will see. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Don't let this sermon just be the message for today. Let it be the journey we take. Think this way. Let's get back to the Word. Let's think the way the apostles taught us to think in their day, in their circumstances. And I call everyone here to fast and pray 
individually as the Spirit leads you. And let's look forward to a move of the Holy Spirit across our nation and across the world. Amen. Will you agree with me on that? Amen. God bless you. God bless you, church. God bless you.